You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos, and you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. This week, Father Paul concludes his discussion of Genesis chapter 3 with the expulsion of Adam from the garden away from the tree of life. As always, he highlights critical connections in the Hebrew, in this case, technical terms that pertain to the keeping of God's law. I am happy to introduce Father Paul on the Bible as Literature podcast, Tarazi Tuesdays. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man, again, this Adam, has become like one of us. But here again, we have a trick. Knowing good and evil, that's what he wanted. He wanted to be like God, to be the judge of everything. But then comes the punishment. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Very important. And this will join what I said earlier about life being the result of the blessing of God. In other words, in each generation, he allows it to continue. And this is expressed through the other tree. That is the importance of the two trees in the middle of the garden. You decided to eat from that tree, which was not allowed for you. Now I'm not going to allow you to eat from the tree of life. Once more, life is not, it is there. In scripture, obviously around you in actuality, it's through nature, it is there. But we're talking scripturally that it is granted through God. And that will be the step that will prepare us to the law, which is the bread of life. But for the time being, the result is man. The man shall never be a god. No way. So you see that this is where the punishment is going to as a lesson for the following generation. Again, remember the facetious joke I made, why did not God kill the man and Eve, then we would not have been around here to talk, as simple as that. So you need life to continue, but then always under the command of God. And our first experience, as you will see, will be the flood and in a way before it, the story of Cain and God and his punishment. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden. Notice now, it's not that you're not allowed and you're still around being in a position to try to eat from it now. It's a divine decision to get the man out of this position where he could reach to the tree of life. So in 23, God, and we have a forceful verb, he pushed him out technically 
from the Garden of Eden. Notice, it's the Lord God that did that. To continue doing what he's supposed to do from the beginning, to till, which is to serve the ground from which he was taken. That will be confirmed in chapter 4, when Cain will be introduced as someone who was serving the ground as his father Adam did. So, in this sense, nothing changes. The Adam is still from the Adama, but his children will have to live according to the will of God, and that's the remainder of the story. So we have the same function, but now away from the tree of life, that it's going to cost the human being to remain alive. And this everyone experiences nowadays, like you have to fight. Not everything comes the way it is. You know, you plant a garden. If you have bad weather, it doesn't work, and so on and so forth. And in 24, we have a push instead of sent forth that is already forceful in Hebrew without getting into the original. In 24, he drove out which is an even more forceful verb, garash, in like he pushed him out. And you have it in chapter 4. I'm mentioning this because already here in the phraseology, we are preparing for chapter 4, meaning Cain. In 4.14, we hear, Behold, thou hast driven me this day away from the ground. And from thy face I shall be hidden and shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will slay me. And this verb, garage, the first two letters are the root from which we have ger, a stranger, and so on. But since it is too much of Hebrew, unless you ask me at the end, I'll talk about it. But I wanted my hearer to understand that I'm trying to push into their ears and through their ears, their mind, the original text. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the Gerubim. This east is very important. It's the second time after the east of the Garden the garden was in the east. We have again here the east. And then the people who built the city and the tower also congregated at the east. I discuss this profusely in the book. Very important, this connection. So he placed the cherubim there. And placed is very interesting because... It is the verb shakan, in other words, to make reside, to stay. Shakan is to reside. Usually it is used when you have a building, because in the tent you keep moving. But shakan is if you like to fully settle. Okay, so he made the cherubim settle there which means it is for the ages, and a flaming sword which turned everywhere. And notice the reason for all that, all the aim, 
is to guard, but let's hear it in the original, to keep, which is the verb shamar. Remember, the man was supposed to keep the ground and later to keep the law. Is this a pointer to the law? Absolutely, because hear it in the Hebrew, to keep the way you have the two essential words of the Torah, the shamar and the derek. Remember, how do you keep the law? By walking the derek of the law. Let's jump to Paul that uses very often this translation, Greek translation, peripateo, to walk. It's not just to amble, but to walk according to the law. We have to walk according to the Spirit in Galatians 5. So again, notice how RSV disturbs over that by making the cherubim just as a guardian to stop people coming to the tree of life, which is correct. But then the original is already pointing to the fact that you will get life away from the tree of life and that's your new situation as the human being outside the garden for good. But the text is preparing you somehow, offering you a way out of the impasse if you keep Shamar, the Derek of the Torah, which becomes your new way of life. So you see how the curse is already preparing for the law, and anyone who has heard at least once Leviticus and Deuteronomy will guess that, even without my presentation, where we have two lengthy passages about the two ways, the way at the end of which you get the blessing and the other way at the end of which you get the curse. And the curse is destruction, death by fire, famine, and so on and so forth. Which means that here God becomes the enemy of man, which is picked up in Isaiah 63.10 and Micah 2.8. And these two texts are specifically related to God punishing his people for having been disobedient. And that is really something, especially nowadays, we have to make the effort to understand because people are very much hallmarkly, if I would say so, that God is good. How could he do that? You remember the stupid discussions about the earthquake is God is good. Why do we have earthquakes and so on and so forth? God is the judge. He gives you your life as a judge. And if you don't live according to his judgment, then even if you are a God in Psalm 82, you will be slain by him as a human being. Very important to remember that. And hopefully those of us who are prone to mysticism would change their ways and remember that there is a judgment at the end. 
you don't just pass into eternal life as very often we hear ourselves saying so and so passed into eternal life <laughs> i mean <laughs> that's ridiculous it's anti-scripture it's always on hope on hope should you follow and with this notice the end to keep the way to if you eliminate the tree then you have life to keep the way that leads to life and you are already in the fifth book of the torah which is the book of deuteronomy after which we have the beginning of the story of the biblical israel in the biblical land of the promise so you see how scripture is structured which brings me to remind my hearers that ultimately it was written in tandem you know by the same authors and it keeps rehashing the same message remember we have four prophets we have four gospels and so on and so forth and with this the situation of the garden is closed but the toledot of heavens and earth do not stop there it continues through the human being outside the garden and ends with the mention of the new seed at the end of 4 that will take us into chapter 5 which is the toledot of adam at that point not ha adam just the individual adam whose son is not anymore cain obviously not abel because he died but seth as a new seed a new beginning a new way and that's how it continues in the past you've talked about verse 21 and i know you've written about it how it's striking that adam who was taken from the same adama as the animal is now essentially sacrificing the animal in order to atone for his mistake would you talk a little bit about that it's such a powerful point within the context of everything you've said about this section of genesis okay here actually it is more than that because it is the lord god that made for adam and his wife garments of skins it is as though the sin forced god to do something that was not allowed and that will be picked up after the flood so where does the skin i mean in hebrew it's very clear because the word that is used there or in other places it refers to the skin of the animal now scholars have their own way especially the germans who are enamored with the development of civilization uh, as the english are and the french are the northern europeans you know that this is a move to show how the bible was speaking positively about civilization that suddenly you're not naked anymore you put garments and so on which are part of our civilization as you know that is really 
I mean, I would say silly, but it is when God is forced. This reminds me of God's hand being forced by Adam's unhappiness with the animals as companions. But the texts show you that he wanted something that would please him, meaning the man, and not according to the pleasure of God. And that word pleasure is very important. It reappears at the end of Isaiah 53, that the Lord was pleased. The Lord's pleasure was to bruise that lamb in order to save the others. So ultimately, the Evdokia should be the Evdokia of God. So again, I'm thankful that you pointed this out. Actually, I had it as a note in case <laughs> one of you would ask me about that. And it is precisely the killing of animals. I mean, suppose you're hearing this text and suddenly you hear that, where did the skin come from? So twice God's hand was forced by the sin of man. And you could see how in history, you know, if a king mistreats his people, he is forcing the hand of his deity, the deity of the city, to act in a way that will make him the enemy of his own people. In other words, from the outside, when you look at the situation of God punishing his people, you have no other way except as the prophets that refer to him as the enemy. Actually, in Isaiah, it is God himself who is speaking and saying, I shall become your enemy. It's very powerful. So one more time, all this leads us to understand the seriousness of the matters and not to assume, as I repeat time and again, that it is our father, daddy, who is now and then a judge. No. It is the judge of the universe, again, according to the Bible, who condescends in his pleasure, in his good pleasure, to act as our father. Because obviously he's not our father, definitely in scripture. I'm not speaking about the other gods, but in scripture, he made the human beings out of the ground. There is no two there is no possibility for two ways about it. He is from a completely different fabric, but not philosophically, rather factually, actually, or according to me, functionally. He judges the human being is on no way judge. And even the gods that are also, by definition, judges are judged by the scriptural God in Psalm 82. That is the function of God, because the moment he stops being a judge, then we have no hope for righteousness. And this is a big deal in Romans chapter 3. Again, in the origin, if God is not just in his judgments, then we have no hope in righteousness. 
Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.